Trigger warning. This podcast contains discussions around eating disorders and sexual harassment. Hello and welcome to Virago Voices podcast. Podcast number one. This podcast is all about women's empowerment. To get started, I thought I would tell you a little bit about myself. I am currently a first year doctor working at a hospital on the outskirts of London. I moved here a year ago from the north of Scotland because I joined the army during medical school. The experience of moving from Scotland to England alone was one that taught me so much about myself and one I will never forget or regret. In the fallout of the move, I have met so many amazing people, particularly lots of incredible women, some of which you will hear from on this podcast. Today's podcast is entitled Amelia. I know Amelia through work and she was the person I shadowed on my first ever day as a doctor. I very much looked up to her as my senior and hoped that one day I would be as efficient as she was at her job. My friend Amelia is motivated. Her drive and determination are incredibly admirable and her organisational skills are impeccable. The fact that she can fit in all her extracurricular activities around working a full-time job in the hospital is awe-inspiring. From Amelia, I have learnt unapologetic determination. She has shown me that if you want something, go and get it, but make sure you're ready to work for it. I hope you enjoy our conversation with the Virago that is Amelia. Hi Amelia and welcome to the podcast. So my first question is, what is your life goal? So I find life goals is quite an interesting concept because they only really feature much later in life. I think we're all in the position where when you're at school, you're just told, oh, I need to get through my GCSEs and then it's ASs and then it's your A-levels. Oh, and then I think, oh, I need to now get into medical school. And then once I've gone to medical school, now I need to get into the army. <clears throat> and it was only until I became a junior doctor when I suddenly realised, oh, right, probably should have a life goal now um and it was only working as hard as you do as a junior doctor did it make me realize the importance of work-life balance and so I think one of my main life goals is to achieve um that work-life balance that allows me to probably achieve a sort of a main stream income but at the side have a side hustle of my own business because I love that sort of entrepreneurial side to me um, but I think it's quite simple. My life goal is to be on a six-figure salary, to have no Sunday blues, because uh, I have that at the moment, <laughs> and um, and have a, a job that I enjoy, but someone who I can share the rest of my life with or share that journey with is, is the life goal. And those are such great life goals. Um, <laughs> so on the, on the note of... Um, what you said at the start about the life goals always changing. Um, do you think your current life goals are dynamic? Actually, yes, because they myself compared to me a year ago, 
very very different when I first started the journey I thought I'll just be a GP in the countryside and that'll be me but I've realized that even after the even after just a year they've already changed because I'm after more I need more mm -hmm. and so although being a GP at some point would be probably suffice for a bit unfortunately I have one of those personalities where um, I always have to seek for more so yes I think Almost what I've just said, that's a simple equation of no Sunday blues and six-figure salary. Or I'm sure in five, ten years' time, that will drastically change. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that that's quite interesting with life goals. You kind of are always chasing the carrot in a sense that you'll never really achieve. And that's actually quite depressing. No, it's so interesting. I, I had um, a discussion the other day where I was actually really worried that I'll never, never be happy or never be satisfied. Because even, for example, during this lockdown, I... I mean, one would have thought, oh, doing a full A&E rotor would be tiring and sufficient enough to fill my time. But I actually have now decided to book onto a, another course and now doing accountancy. Who does that? <laughs> it's just ridiculous. But I just can't help but, well, what's next? I've got to be productive. I've got to, what's the next thing? You know, everyone always says to me, oh, Amelia, be careful, you could burn out. But I, I haven't yet. Good. So I'll keep going until I actually do and arguably that's quite a good personality trait to have y yes um it can, yes no it, it, it it's never exhausting it's never tiring it's exciting but sometimes when you have a moment to relax which i very rarely do sometimes then do i suddenly think when will you be happy when will you stop chasing for the next thing when will you just stop and enjoy the life that you have so i'm really hoping i can learn that over the next five to ten years when when you reach your 40s you're going to start not winding down necessarily but i hope i can seek fulfillment or um happiness in other things than another qualification yeah that's something that's we're really blessed with with being young and able and the roles are oyster i guess in a sense so yeah it's really great that you're grabbing every opportunity um <clears throat> so you mentioned a little bit about um your business um so can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, another thing that was dynamic in terms of life goal is I never ever thought business interest, money sort of ever interest me um, until this last year where I suddenly realised I want work-life balance but I also do want money. I think that actually unfortunately nowadays um, you need money for a lot of things um, and a lot of people are embarrassed to admit that they want a lot of money, um, mm -hmm. but I'm not. <laughs> I'm more than happy to admit. Um, but yes, yeah, so this entrepreneurial side is, I've always wanted something that's mine, um, something I can uh, be be proud of and that I've brought up sort of, and started from my off my own back um, because at school you're, it's sort of institutionalised, they say you either come a lawyer, teacher, doctor, if you don't want to go to university, sorry, you're on your own. We have nothing to suggest for you. Um, and so I happened to go down the doctor route because my grades were good enough, not because I had a burning desire to be a doctor. Um, that classic, oh, I want to help people that you say in your personal statement. <laughs> Everyone does. Um, but it's just because I was I had the grades. But I think now that I have done the doctor thing, I think that with this fantastic qualification and the transferable skills I have now acquired, I can put that to a good use. Mm -hmm. and I have a real passion for not conventional medicine but preventative medicine and 
I think if you the the root cause to comorbidities and this of obesity in our population is poor education, poor nourishment, and like lack of exercise, and and just all round lack of education. People just don't know, and it's such a simple concept that people as soon as they get their head around it, maybe we can hopefully start seeing in the future people living not longer because we don't need people to live longer, but for the length they live for a much healthier life so they're not visiting sort of hospital front doors so often that's sort of the aim i don't know whether i'll be able to to be um be able to set up a lifestyle medicine clinical sort of practice but something to do with functional medicine lifestyle medicine is certainly where the goal's at for now that that's such a great goal and um can you tell everyone a bit about what you what you're doing at the minute as a junior doctor on as your kind of side hustle as you put it Yes, yeah, so I um, came across, is this um, my, the skincare? Yes. So I was um, approached by my hairdresser actually when I was having my hair cut and I was talking to her about, so the downfalls of being a junior doctor that people don't tell you about before you sign up and uh, the lack of work-life balance and seeing people when it's too late, when they have already got type 2 diabetes, when they're already uh, sort of, uh, o- o- overweight and I wanted to be, I felt powerless, um, but also had this entrepreneurial side to me. And so my hairdresser actually said, oh, Amelia, why didn't you sort of do what I do, which is take on the, sort of a, a business or brand um, that is your own website, your own login, but you just tell people about all these natural skincare products that, that's vegan, cruelty-free, gluten-free and that's simply quite that's the that's the new thing in that's that's a very popular thing at the moment and so I ran with it and have been speaking to lots of different people um when you hear everyone loves skincare and looking after their skin so that was sort of my inroad and I really like exercise nutrition and so sometimes when I was hearing healthcare assistants nurses doctors struggling to lose weight for example or had um really bad sleep or skin or headaches then I would sort of just take them to one side and we, we have a discussion about their lifestyle what we could tweak and alter and then if they were interested then I would direct them towards my website which had some natural skincare products or some protein powder um, because they weren't having enough protein in their diet which no one really does nor water so that's what I have been doing on the side but that has it shown me a fantastic business model but the issue I have is it isn't mine and that's almost the only thing that I, it, that's the, it's wrong uh, I haven't I haven't created it so if I can bring my passion and make it into a business of my own then that would be truly wonderful yeah but it's definitely a good start point that you've got I love the kind of opportunistic recruiting that you talk about in your story like your hairdresser and then you recruit people from what what you hear and kind of their own life stories which is really lovely um do you have any advice for any women who are interested in starting a business or um doing what you've done I think it's not to go into it blindly because a lot of people think it's a uh, get quick you know get rich quick mm. uh, and it's it's simply it could be if you if you work hard at it or are, are lucky as well but I found that the thing to do is you have to do things that terrify you so every time I had to stop someone in the corridor or interrupt the conversation and say oh I, I heard you talking about that you had really really bad skin it takes a lot of confidence 
and you've got to be passionate about what your your business is in, what products you're selling or what sort of, I don't know, finance idea, whatever the business is, you've got to be passionate in it, passionate about it, um, have the confidence just to dive straight in, but also not shy of hard work um, and giving up quite a lot of time and effort at the beginning because it will pay off in the end. That, that would be my... Amelia's three top tips. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you mentioned about asking for money and I know for women that's one way that we don't get ahead in life is because we're worried about asking for money and, and being replaceable. Um, do you have any kind of advice or thoughts on that? And uh, so what do you mean by asking for money? So when they say, oh, how much is it? That, that sort of... No, as in when you're, when you're saying, you know, you're not shy of the fact that you want to earn a six-figure yeah. salary. Um, I think in the business world and in kind of private sector work, when women are offered jobs, they never know how to go about talking mm-hmm. about money. And, in that, and because of that, they never, they always fall short of getting the salary that they should really deserve. Um, so what are your kind of thoughts or advice on that? Yes, yeah, so I um, I went to a headhunter, and when he was asking me about these sort of um, what's my sort of likes, dislikes, what I'm after, what my life goals, funny enough, um, I actually asked him. I was like, oh, so in the future, um, if I come to an interview and they ask so many, what salary are you looking? He said the way to do it is you have your rock bottom in your head before you say anything you have your rock bottom something that is a deal breaker that you mm. in your mind you cannot go below and then you have um your ideal oh i'd really like to have x amount and then you've got to s- settle somewhere in the middle so when you go to your future employer or your interviewer and they ask you you take the opportunity to go in high and negotiate until you whittle it down to either hopefully a happy medium where employer and you are happy with that middle amount because they think they've won mm. because they've managed to whittle you down by X amount. Um, but you're happy because you haven't hit that, your baseline. Oh. That would be my advice. That's great advice. Thank you for that. Okay, so next question. Um, Amelia, what would you tell 16-year-old you? So I don't know whether I can actually say this, but 16-year-old me did nail it. Um... I would say that I really wouldn't change much from my 16-year-old self because at that time I wasn't interested in boys, girls. I was just focused on doing well in my sports. Um, I was very focused on getting into medicine, getting into the military. So by having that focus back then, already back then, I achieved all the goals I wanted to. Um, the the, The only two things I would say to myself is, Amelia, take... Uh, A-level Latin, not A-level geography, <laughs> because I had a real passion for Latin derivatives. I'm a bit nerdy like that. Um, but also, on a, spo- on a more morbid sort of subject, is I, I would tell myself when I was 16 to eat more, <laughs> because when I was 15 to the age of 21, I developed an eating disorder. I think it's because I became so regimented and focused in my studies that it was all about control. Um, I don't know whether this is okay to talk about it on the podcast. Um, of course. But uh, I would say to myself, merely eat more now because then you're not going to stunt your growth and your metabolism is going to prevent you from eating a lot more later in life because now 
you know, I want to eat a lot all the time, but my metabolism is so slow and I just have to look at cake and I've put some weight on. But yes, I definitely would have um, sort of tried to talk myself out of it because it was quite a, a tricky time. My parents really couldn't, nothing they said, nothing my sister said could get me out of that absolute sort of focus of food. So I would, um, I would tell myself to, yeah, eat more. It sounds silly now, but yeah, such a... Well, thank thank you for sharing. Um, I think it's quite interesting with eating disorders how that kind of per- focused personality. You know, it's always the, the the kids that are really focused and really driven, mm-hmm. and and that plays into then your attitude with food, um, and that never really changes, does it? No, and I'm you. When I turned twenty one, twenty two, I decided just like that, I'm going to change. And I did, but unfortunately with with many mental health disease, it's always, it's not a simple fix as a broken arm. A physical ailment is far less sort of debilitating, I think, to some extent than uh, mental health. So I, I still struggle, I think about it all the time. I just don't control it so much because now I've realized that life's really fun. And if I was to go back to being that restrictive, then that would mean I couldn't drink alcohol, I couldn't go to KFC, I couldn't uh, go out to the pub and really enjoy myself or uh, and be r- riddled with guilt. So it, it's still a, an internal battle, but I'm... Um, have, how do I say it? I'm much more under, con- under control with it um, and aware of when I'm getting getting like that I managed to reverse it and just distract myself and talk myself out out of it yeah um and did you find anything kind of triggered it when you were 15 it was I I can actually remember um the the week that it happened and because when I was little I've always been a foodie I, I just love food um, <laughs> and you know that sort of that that adage oh um, people live to eat or eat to live now my parents are wait let me get the right way around they they eat to live whereas I live to eat and always have been so I've always been the slightly chubby sort of 12 13 year old floor and my sister was always the first stick thin one but that was fine that didn't really phase me because I was like well that's just me and then I um, went to Turkey on holiday with my parents and I got into running and when I found out that I was quite good at it I began to do more running and suddenly I was, I was still eating the same but I was actually losing quite a bit so when I went back to school that autumn uh, my boarding school people were saying god Amelia you look you look great you look glowing what have you done so I said oh no I'm just I've just found running and then because I was getting such compliments by losing weight it continued from there I was like well obviously if I the more I lose the more compliments I get and we all love flattery all have been love being told about um how good we look etc and so it just went from there and it was never that I was it, it was a sort of exercise-induced eating disorder. I ne- you never saw me not eat nothing because I couldn't not eat nothing. I just ran it all off. Um, and actually, I did so much running that it made me have an, a knee injury that ended up in an operation. And because I was injured and could not physically run because of my recovery time, 
I naturally ate a bit more and then I began to actually, although I put on weight, I looked better and realised I looked better, uh, which was a, quite a struggle at first. And that's actually what kicked, kicked me back out of it. Oh, interesting. So then I, in a way, I stopped running as much, if at all, and that, that um, actually helped me yeah. resurface. Yeah. And it's interesting that a lot of the time eating disorder kind of behaviours are reinforced by people saying it's healthy and that often being the thing that makes people, triggers people to keep going is that it's healthy to be skinny and it's healthy to not eat. But actually to someone who's got an eating disorder, that's really damaging. Yes, definitely. And it, but then it, they, then it came the opposite way. So then people were then saying, just outwardly, oh, Amelia, you're way too thin. Oh, and I remember sitting down at, in the dining hall and a boy in my year, who I really didn't like anyway, and he said just blatantly across the table in front of everyone, oh, Amelia, do you have anorexia? I remember being horrified because I, deep down, knew that something was off and I'm a bright girl, I knew that I probably had a problem. But because I liked the way that my legs looked, I, I was happy to go along with it. But just for him to say that, it just was awful. Whereas when someone's too big, no one really will say, oh, you're too big, yeah. you're too fat, have you got a problem? Yeah. Whereas I found that I, people were more than happy to comment on how thin I was. Yeah. But, but then it started being in a negative way. And so it's interesting. So, yeah, that's so not helpful because you're already struggling with the fact you know that that is the problem. And then people are also commenting on it and you're like, yeah, well... <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, you're not helping me. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so then when you um, then started eating a bit more, how was that as a struggle, kind of... With an injury and stuff. Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, so it, I battled with it for a while, but then I, but then I got some. It's weird. I started getting a tr um, attention from boys. Ah, uh, oh, well, this must be the magic trick. Then I must actually look better mm. with more weight on. If people are now beginning to give me compliments again, and getting a, uh, getting sort of attention from from males. So I thought, well, that must be that was actually quite encouraging, positive yeah. feedback. But then I. Um, they say that with eating disorders, it takes the same time again to fully recover. And so five years after that, basically the whole of my medical school career, I was then battling with binging, yo-yo dieting, you know, being used to being so skinny, but then suddenly I found that I allow myself to eat again. So I was like, this is, oh my gosh, it's so yummy, it's so tasty. And then you couldn't control yourself. And then you really diet. And so even now I've managed to stabilise my weight. Um, and it's now so back on track. But <laughs> what my body has been through is quite a tumultuous time. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. And it's, it's interesting that it's of such a illness of control, then when you actually do allow yourself to eat, you totally lose control. And, yeah. then, and then you kind of scrounge for it back and then yeah. you lose it again it's so weird because when I was really thin it was the simplest thing to say oh no I won't have that sliver of cake 
Um, or, oh, no, no, I, I'm fine, thank you. I, I, I just want a main course. Everyone else having a starter, pudding, alcohol. But I was like, no, no. It's, and it, but then, then years on, I found it so difficult to say no. It was so weird. I, I couldn't get my head around it. I had to read a couple of books and gone to a couple of sort of those community forums to understand that, one, I wasn't alone. I wasn't the only one going mm. through that. That weirdly, people with this sort of type of ail- mental ailment go through the exact same psychological process and in a battle. And so that was quite reassuring. So then I could read how people got over it. Mm-hmm. And so by implementing some of those measures, now have I only five years later from stopping being anorexic, have I finally managed to equalise my body weight. Well, that's such an achievement. So, <laughs> yeah. Well done. Yeah, maybe that should have been a life goal of mine when I was 16. <laughs> Um, so I think that's really beautiful that you found a positive online community that could aid in your recovery. Um, but obviously, you know, social media can be good and bad. So did you ever experience any negative media or any trouble on social media? I was one of those weirdos who didn't have Facebook right up until the age of 18. And even or when I went to university. So actually, there aren't really many pictures on internet anywhere of me being uh, too th- too thin. Um, so if anything, the only comments I got were behind closed doors of my sister saying, Amelia, you're too thin, or mummy and daddy saying, Amelia, we're really worried about you. So actually I never got any backlash on social media, mm. but I can imagine if I had how awful that would have been. And you hear the stories now of how uh, much of an impact social media is having having on people and you've got youngsters that's nine-year-olds with their phones and instagram and you don't and that they have all that exposure to the world wide web and you just think that can't be good on the mental health mm. and i was reading um a article talking about i think uh, sort of, uh fif- 10 to 15 year olds some something like 40 percent aren't happy with their body at that age now, when I was 10 or 9, I was still making dens. I was yeah. probably running around <laughs> making Lego. But now, they've got makeup, they've got phones, they've got Instagram. I think that's quite terrifying. But the, the difficulty with social media is it's so powerful. And when you see these gorgeous airbrushed models, and you want to be like them, you don't want to look like them, that's always tough, because I've always had an athletic build, and during that time when I was too thin, the the body shape to have at that time were so was the sort of model look, which is slightly short torso, but long, lovely, thin legs, which I never had. I'm very much a column in proportion everywhere, and that's just the way I'm built. Fortuitously, now in a way, what's what's in and what's new is that athletic look of going to the gym and looking really sort of lean, and that suits my body type. So actually, I'm having a merry time. <laughs> but for those that maybe don't, and I want to, then they may be sort of thrashing themselves at the gym, injuring themselves because they can't look and you know, have some biceps. Or I don't, I don't know. But yeah. I just think that social media it it's so dynamic it changes all the time that people can't keep up and people can't change genetics they can't change their phenotype so 
in that sense, it can be very negative indeed. Yeah, I totally agree. And in, in the last podcast, we kind of talk about the shiny parts of your life on Instagram. Mm. And I think Instagram itself is a lifestyle. I mean, you've got your story and you follow celebrities on their, on their whole life and you yeah. feel like you're in their day. And you feel like your day should be as perfect as their day. And and so from the times when we were young, when we just saw magazines and you just see one picture and it's fine. Yeah. These people, the children now are seeing it constantly. It's just constantly reinforced that this is what you should look like. This is what you should do. And it's be unrealistic. Doing. It's so unrealistic. It's literally the shiny parts of people's lives. But it's true because I never take a selfie of me crying and post it the next day saying you know hi feeling so low today you know you just you just don't you just no, don't do that you don't want to <laughs> no you really shouldn't I don't look great when I've cried at puffy eyes or blotchy you know you don't want to see that <laughs> um so but it's so true if I ever have a good picture or I'm on holiday uh, in Cuba then it's going to go on Instagram so yeah. people can see oh look where's oh Amelia's been traveling again I'm like yeah damn right I have <laughs> people need to know that but never am I well, actually, I have to admit, during this COVID time, I have posted a little bit about, oh, God, it's work, mm, blah, this is bad. But when it's me personally upset or something, that won't go anywhere near Instagram at yeah. all. So people must think all the time. Amelia's travelling all the time, she's happy all the time, she loves her job. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, my life doesn't quite depict that. No, and I even, I even find when I look through my own social media and I look at what I was doing last year, I was like, oh my gosh, I was having so much fun and mm. now I'm boring and, yeah. oh, you know, my face shape is different from then. And then I'm like, no, you just picked a really good photo and you just depicted a really nice time in your life. But even I trick myself, which is really disturbing. <laughs> and also what you don't, uh, I suppose, don't realise is when you see those model Instagrams, they've probably taken a thousand photos, literally 100 to a thousand selfies to get the exact right angle. Whereas I personally don't have time for that. No. I want to be either lying down horizontal getting a tan or I want to be, I don't know, running along the beach or learning to, you know, to paddleboard or something. I don't have time to to be taking all those shots yeah. so what, what value does it really give in the end and it's one of those things that what i find now is really sad when you go abroad into a restaurant in the cinema everyone's on their phones you see couples together sitting across the table looking at their phones and so now i make a rule with myself and whoever i go out with i say right phones away we're, we're not going to we don't need them we've got each other so that's that and it's worked so well yeah that's really good nice um nice change refreshing yeah. yeah it is quite refreshing um so any final words for 16 year old you no i think we've <laughs> i think we've covered uh, i think we've covered it um so yeah no that no no more for me no good she smashed it <laughs> <laughs> and for our final question um amelia what does being a woman mean to you this is such a hard question to answer because it means a whole multitude of things. When I, when I was thinking of what I was going to say, I think it's, I feel both, it depends on what mood you catch me in. So sometimes I feel really empowered. I'm, like, I'm a woman, this is great, we're so strong, we can do this. And then sometimes when some event happens or you hear something on the news, I can feel disheartened. I'm like, gosh, females have it so hard. They have it so tough. Um, and I think 
it, it, it has to be, what's difficult is it stems back from you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands of years where men have been stronger, they've been um, more superior, um, it, that makes them more of a leader, more dominant, more assertive, and they've been male has been associated with those characteristics. So where that leaves women is oh passive, um, sort of the, you're able to cook and clean, and that's all you know, sort of mother hen. That's all we can do. And w although I can definitely say we have come so far to modern day, we are still we're still a long way off because if you ask any girl. You have the casual racism, uh, not racism, sorry, complete wrong context, uh, sexism. Uh, you have harassment from builders or, I don't know, someone who wolf whistles and it, and it feels threatening. Every time you leave the house and it's dark, you have to have your whereabouts. Every time you go to a garage to fill up petrol, you've got to lock your door and check the inside of your car. Um, different pay grades because of all these things, periods, PMS, having a child pregnant all these things so i'm getting a bit of a rant but <laughs> I love it. all these things i just think w men have no idea so when we're able to succeed and do both have a great career earn as good a salary as our male counterparts we're able to birth a child and still run a marathon a year all these things you think wow we have that all against us and yet we can still do it um, that's when I think that's incredible that, that we can achieve so much with so much sort of, um, against us. But, uh, yes, if that, I think that's probably the main feeling or word I, I feel when I'm a woman is, is empowered. But if I had a couple of wishes, my one wish would be to, one of them would be to switch genders. So for one month men go inside women's bodies and they actually feel what it's like to have a period or give birth to a child or be wolf-whistled and not think it's a compliment, not be flattered, but actually feel um, feel dirty, feel, yeah, threatened and see whether once you swapped the genders back a month later, whether the attitudes would be different. Oh gosh, laws would change. Yes. We wouldn't be taxed on periods anymore. <laughs> no, tampons. Yeah. No, I know, I know. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I'd love that to happen. I always, I don't know why, I always think that a lot. Every time I go out running um, and I get beat you know, for the 18th time with this of a car going past, I just think, oh, you have no idea. Yeah. So I often think that quite often, but... Um, yeah, so that's I think that's what that's what it feels like to, to to be a woman. Yeah, I love that you brought up that we still we live in a world. Essentially, we live in a world that's designed around men. That's just a fact. Um, but the fact that we still we still succeed in it is just incredible. And I think that really something that we should all celebrate as women that we absolutely smash it all the time. Um, when we go to work when we're on our period and. No guy knows how that feels. <laughs> yep. And the fact that, you know, women can have children and bounce back so quickly from it is just incredible. Absolutely. I, I think that's so important about being a woman is just our resilience almost. Yeah, that's actually, yes, actually, that's a much better word. Resilient. That's, that's, that's how 
I feel on good days, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then it sometimes is knocked down when I see a patient and they call me a nurse. Oh, my word. <laughs> and they call the male nurse, oh, doctor. <laughs> and it's just that assumption yeah. that sometimes can wear me down. Yeah. I feel like snapping, shaking the patient to come on <laughs> just for once. <laughs> That is the most frustrating thing, and I don't think it's nothing offensive to nurses at all. No, it's a absolutely comp- not. Like, an amazing um, profession. I couldn't do what they do. No, absolutely not. But the fact that I think the issue I have is when people assume, usually men assume your your um, job based on your gender. I had an episode last week where you know I was talking to talking to a guy just at the gym, and he was like oh what do you do I was like oh I work in the hospital and he was like oh what do you do are you a nurse mm. and I was like you just had to ask what I do yes. and then it's almost embarrassing when you're like oh no no, no I'm actually a doctor oh no I don't find it embarrassing <laughs> I'm like yes actually you're wrong <laughs> I'm a doctor I'm a military doctor just to rub it in and then they do, and then what they say is oh gosh you you wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought because you're blonde and little yeah oh great that can, that's going to make me feel fantastic <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it is the surprise after where they're like, oh, really? Wow. Mm. I once got told, you don't look like a doctor. I'm like, yeah. oh, what does a doctor look like? Yeah. Tell me that. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I think it's important to call people out on this. I'm trying not to say I call men out, but <laughs> call people out on it. Um, yeah, because I've had um, more, the, more the older generation, certainly women and men then have those assumptions so I agree I think it's it's mainly potentially more males but certainly women I've had say oh hello nurse no (laughs) doctor for the fourth time (laughs) and actually people that are quite rude to you as well I mean I was going to like examine a patient and he was like get me a bedpan now and I was like okay would you rather get me a bedpan or me to actually do my job but okay um no need no I know exactly and actually on, on calling people out on it um I was in the gym the other day and um, you go to the gym quite a lot don't yeah, you yeah well it was actually the same day <laughs> I was just having none of it <laughs> quite and, right uh, <laughs> and the guy beside me who our age and was like oh you know my hands are so girly at the minute yeah and I was like I mean, I've got girl hands, what's wrong with girl hands? <laughs> yeah. And he was like, oh, you know, they're just really tender and sensitive. And I was like, oh, God, is that what you, you should feel mine? <laughs> like, is that, what you think? <laughs> is that what you think our hands are like? I know. Oh, sensitive. <laughs> no. sensitive. I was like, I'm lifting the same amount of weight as you. Yes. Like, my hands are fine. So. I, yeah, I've got calluses on mine from the weights I lift. <laughs> Maybe you've got boy hands. <laughs> yeah. But also the classic, oh, you throw like a girl. Oh, what? well, actually, I've got a really good throat. <laughs> so oh, great. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> yeah, and there's that really interesting um, I always ad that's like, oh, they get the little girls and they're like, oh, throw like a girl. And the girls are like chucking the ball. Yeah, yeah. And they're like running really fast. Yes, yes. And then the, the older girls are like throwing like like really daintily yeah. and running yes. like, and screaming. And, and it's interesting to where that distinction lies. Like where in society, like... Do we get our periods and then we're like, oh crap, we're girls. Like mm. we need to be this stereotype or... I think it, I think that they just perhaps don't know themselves. It's going through... I think we all go through that sort of hormonal stage where we don't really know who we are, who should be, how should we act. And so when you have those, again, on a way, in a way, social media pressures, girls begin to act 
how they have been told to yeah. in the sort of social norm. And that's when it becomes really twisted because girls as young as, well, any age now, will sort of act as I think they should and not be, be themselves, which yeah. is really, uh, really shame. Yeah, and we just need to show girls that being a girl doesn't mean weakness. And I think you said previously, um, you know, the leadership role is, is predominantly associated with men and women are very passive and, and not leaders. But actually, why is the leader voice a man voice? Why can't it be a woman voice as well? And, I mean, this is a slight sidestep, and again, I don't know whether this is relevant, but um, whenever I've come across someone who's quite ignorant when I've been with a a girlfriend, they've said to me, oh, who's the man of the relationship? I'm not... Sorry, you're not getting this. (laughs) I'm a girl, and I like girls. So we're both, (laughs) guess what? We, we both take on the women role, it's 50-50, it's equal. Yeah. Just because one's it potentially more assertive in the relationship doesn't mean I'm more male. Yeah. So it's it's just those weird sort of... It's, it's ignorance and and assumptions that uh, can... It's just a little bit annoying sometimes. Yeah, and I think we should call them out on it. I think we well, need to. Well, exactly that's exactly what I do. And I say almost that exact same answer. I just say, well, both of us... And none of us. It's we're both women. Yeah. There's no need to be any male counterpart in this bit. That's why we're gay. Yeah. <laughs> no, literally. <laughs> we missed the tall point. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and then I, and then it's not I just can't get the concept. I'm like, yeah, not interested at all. But yeah, <laughs> it's bizarre. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you very much for uh, being on the podcast. Oh well, thank you very much for having me. No problem. It was lovely to interview you and. Have a great life. (laughs) Hope you achieve your life goals. Hopefully I'll smash it. (laughs) 